Welcome to episode 176 of A Pint with Shawnee B. When we last left you, if you're an England fan tuning in, sorry for your troubles. You didn't win the Euros. I'm here with the Don as ever. Hello, the Don. Hello. Who just turned 32. Yeah. What's it like being 32? Remarkably similar to being 31. Although I tell you what took the edge off. I don't really cry about the age thing. I did have a bit of a wobble about turning 30, but that was less about ageing. It was kind of more about, oh shit, now I have to be grown up, I can't do this. And all the way through my 20s, people are going, aren't you great for your age? And now I'm going to be actually held to account. So that was more my panic about 30. 32 is grand. And what softened it for me was, obviously in recent weeks or the last month or so, being younger had its disadvantages because the vaccine is rolled out age-wise. And certain privileges are afforded, understandably, to those who are fully vaxxed. I was kind of getting left behind and going, oh, they're opening things up and the Delta's spreading and I still haven't got my vaccine. So now I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm quite happy to turn 32. And the day after I turned 32, I got my second jab, which is delightful. So now I'm like, if I get it, I get it. But I really would prefer to get it fully vaxxed. So I'm fully I'm as protected as I can be now, so that's nice. We're not going to talk too much about COVID today because you're probably getting it wherever you are in the world from every angle. Clear that it's going to be here for the long haul. And it's not as simple as just jabbing everybody and moving on with life. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. However, we did uh, notice with great interest, right, what happened after the English uh, lost on penalties in the European Championships. Yeah, the whole world noticed that, didn't they? So even though we were being really unfair to the small percentage of English fans who are racist and racially abused players, as soon as the particularly black players missed penalties, uh, Twitter was a sight to behold. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I we could have been smug. I personally wasn't. I thought it was very unfortunate. Yeah. Anyway, I think England, I don't know whether they've woken up to it, whether they'll do anything about it. We will see. And then after that, we had the Olympics. The Olympics. Olympics and Ireland uh, did extremely well. We had two gold medals. I think the first time we've won two gold medals since 1924. Sorry, we won two, three gold medals, I think, in 1996 in Atlanta. Uh, although our swimmer, Michelle Smith de Bruin, uh, was found cheating after and before. I'm not sure before. Her husband and coach, a former shot putter who was banned for doping. So that's a tar- their tarnished medals, which I don't count, even though Michelle Smith still counts them and they weren't stripped from her. And she ended up being a barrister. How convenient. <laughs> of course, barristers well, did go Did we get three gold medals, but it was two events because it wasn't one of our gold medals, the two lads that were rowing. Yeah, um, it's considered yeah, a gold. I know, I know. I'm just two. clarifying Yeah, there were that. two rowers and our boxer, yeah. Kelly Harrington. She's a lovely young lass from the inner city of Dublin, working class area. And she won gold in women's boxing to follow up the world famous Katie Taylor, Taylor, who uh, is still boxing and I think undefeated. So imagine if, uh, and of course we had the the Don is very uh, perturbed and uh, involved in the whole trans movement and what's going on there, which is getting a bit silly at this stage. But we had the weightlifter from New Zealand who arrived looking like a slovenly man. Uh, <laughs> well, I showing, say showing her snatch, but weightlifting terms. Very involved in the. Did I? Didn't I? That's the also me. <laughs> Some people who like weightlifting would have got that. Joke. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I wouldn't say clean snatch. I wouldn't say I'm very involved in the trans rights movement in any way. Obviously, I was involved in women's rights and reproductive rights here, and I am a feminist. However, I would have some differences of opinion with identity politics and I know when you throw out that word it kind of just seems like you're being right-wing identity mm. politics I have some issues with that and I have some questions around the trans thing I mean Laurel well, Hubbard well, let's, yeah let's come back to the identity politics <laughs> yeah. and the wider thing because this girl La- Lauren Hubbard Laurel. Who, Laurel who arrives out on stage looking like she hadn't bothered fucking training was also shit at weightlifting but more importantly there was a girl left behind on the New Zealand team for this fucking idiot, idiot to come out and fucking bomb out in the first three. I mean, clean and listen, jerks. if we're going to go there, right, there's the fact that Daddy is very, very wealthy and Laurel Hubbard was a weightlifter in a previous life. He wasn't shit, but he wasn't great. Like, he was never getting anywhere. And now age, what, 41, 42, 43, something around the early 40s. Now, what 
weightlifter, what female weightlifter at the top of their class, at the top of their game, is strolling into the Olympics having been injured? Yeah. Oof. Well, we talked about Kelly Harrington. Imagine if some bumfluff knacker from fucking Tala decides that he's not going to make it to the Olympic team and he decides a couple of years out, I'm going to become, instead of Anto, I'm going to be called Antonia and I'm going to try and apply for the Irish Olympic team. He then turns into a she, decides he's going to compete. He goes into a bout somewhere with Kelly Harrington, beats her, and goes to the fucking Olympics and, and doesn't win a gold medal. I mean, yeah. it's just... Look, the I whole... mean, look, before you get into the... I know there's, there's so many debates, and there's the science, and there's the over and back. I'm not an expert, but there's a bit of common sense. As you said, Kelly Harrington arrives in, and she's at the top of her game. She's to do well. And some chap who was great 20 years ago, picked it back up again after a very vague transition and called himself Antoinette and has been since injured, strolls in in his 40s, well above the age of what he's supposed to be doing and suddenly is great at it. You start going, mm, something dodgy here. And then you're talking about what does transition mean? And I can't speak to what Laurel Hubbard has had done or not. But the argument was made that testosterone levels were dropped because... Laurel's on hormones. Now, the Olympic Committee themselves, I mean, they didn't own up to it, but they kind of admitted, well, we don't really know what we're doing in terms of measuring what testosterone level is acceptable or not to be counted as female. I find that simplistic because if you cut out testosterone altogether, the simple fact is Laurel Hulsbrook is a person who went through a male puberty. So therefore, if you don't count anything to do with t- testosterone, there's a simple fact that Laurel Hubbard has bigger organs, has a different skeletal frame. Not really, if you look at sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but like your lung capacity. very revealing. Your lung capacity, your heart capacity, even if you could be certain that everything on a testosterone level is fair and even. Yeah, but you're still somebody who went through a male body puberty. So, sorry, that's an so, issue. Uh, you know, we've talked about this not on the podcast because actually, you know, in a couple of years ago, I went off in search of people who would be prepared to talk about this Jan... Oh, Jan Stonewall Gooding. Jan Gooding, yeah, you know, <laughs> but you know, at the time, Jan Gooding was was very, and she's kind and she's a nice person. But what has happened since? And I, you know, I'd love to get Jan Gooding's opinion back because I very, I, I value her intelligence and I value what she was trying to do. The whole thing is now fucking out of control. Okay? You won't get st- anybody from Stonewall. Well, maybe she's left discussion. Stonewall. I don't care. I mean, I know, the, the whole like, thing is getting out of control on both the left, far left, and on the right, far right. And the right of centre and left of centre need to cut bait and just go, get the fuck out of here. I don't give a fuck. That was a bloke out there weightlifting for New Zealand and should not have been allowed in the Olympics, okay? End of. Or if he wants to, if she wants to compete in the Olympics, she competes in the men's section. End of, right? So Where you figure out a third section or a third way, fine. But we can't, women shouldn't have to shove over all the time for male opportunities yeah. and then you go okay and I'm trying to be reasonable here because I've no like f- fucking live and let live and I don't want people to be miserable and I don't know what it feels like so I'm trying to be reasonable but I also kind of go well if we're being told that for someone to transition and for their gender to be validated for them not to feel like shit for them not to want to kill themselves all the time it's really important and I go grand okay but then I go if it's that big of a deal and if you really want to be seen as a woman Maybe the first lesson you need to learn is you can't have everything. <laughs> there are, no, I mean, I think we need to just go much more macro on this. It is getting farcical. It's get, like it's taking over our institutions. Mm. We're getting to a point where colleges, HR in, 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 in workplaces, yeah. and they're listening to this insane minority of fuckwits who actually can't justify or rationalize in an argument except to say, your shit, you know, we're well, going to close you down and that's you're a problem. The, that, that, that's actually a tactic. The tactic is, if you notice, nobody can get anybody on the, for a debate and the, the kind of line is, I shouldn't have to debate my existence, which is a clever line. But what that means is, I want the world to move around my ideology. Now, whether you're trans yourself or whether you're an activist, so I'm not having a go at trans people, I'm talking about the movement here. And basically, I want everything to change around my idea, my ideology to make me comfortable or what I believe in, but I don't believe that I have to have a discussion about it. And that's fine. You don't have to debate your identity, but if you want everybody else to validate your identity, well, you may actually have to come and discuss it. If people feel that I need this explained to me or I feel this clashes with my rights or this is a conflict of interest here. So no, nobody should have to debate their identity. But the problem here is deciding that you're entitled to be viewed by other people and and to have your ID in a certain way or to have your identity validated. Well, 
if you want that, I'm afraid you are going to actually have a conversation. And the point is, we can't back out enough. So we just get this rhetoric of trans women are women. That's the end of it. I'm not coming coming to discuss it because that's bigotry, and we don't we don't have to debate our identity. Nobody should have to debate their right to exist. We're not talking about people's right to exist. You're talking about your right to be seen in a certain way and treated in a certain way and to be accepted and perceived in a certain way. I'm afraid you do actually have to have a debate, debate and a discussion if you want to win people over. The danger for me is what's important globally right now is that we don't, as a species, fall foul to Donald Trump running America or someone like him yeah. again. And we somehow managed to get rid of Duarte and Bolsonaro and these guys because they're not good faith actors no. in terms of the planet, in, which is you come to later, in terms of people, in terms of working people and our poor people. And basically right now, I'm just fucking over the whole extreme mm. left thing. I don't give, I don't even, if anyone, by the way, wants to come on the show and we won't be mean and wants to debate this and put us right on this, contact us through Twitter or whatever, because we'll have you on, maybe. By the way, there I, are, I, I, I lived in Thailand and I was hanging around Lady boys, I'm not even sure you're allowed to say that anymore. Although I don't think the lady boys would give a shit out in Thailand, you know. Well, they identify as and such. yeah, but okay, but like they're, like they're probably laughing at this as well. The point is, Thailand. Maybe you've had this on the on the podcast before. Thailand has a bona fide third sex situation, and no one bats an eyelid. You know, you can go into a bank, you go up to a teller. Maybe it's maybe it is isn't a trans person, but certainly seems to be a trans person. Doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, there's a great documentary about a Thai boxer. I think she's a male to female. She was yeah, she was a Katoy who went and wanted to continue uh, kickboxing. And her father disowned her in the village in Thailand. And she fought uh, and won some belt presenting as a woman in a, in, a, in a very violent male sport. And that's about 20 years old, that documentary. I'm not sure the name would have. We put a link on the podcast. So there's no part of this is that, oh, trans people are fucking idiots, right? They're no. not. And they're a thing. But it's getting out of fucking control. I think that the trans discussion is a microcosm of everything else that's going on. And it's it's kind of heated up a little bit at the moment. And it's, it's one of the areas where I see a lot of the extreme far left shit. And it's a really great example of where no discussion. That if you don't fall into line, which is, I find dogmatic. And I find it interesting coming from a country where, like, we grew up in theocracy. And Ireland is bit by bit. You know, there's still too much church involvement in schools and all that kind of thing. But... We grew up in a theocracy and the way that our country has changed in the past 20 to 30 years is massive. So excuse me for being really wary of dogma and Mm. ideology. Mm. And so I want us to be able to have discussions. And sometimes discussions are going to be that someone pisses us off and we kind of go, they're a fucking arsehole. And you don't actually have to have a discussion with everyone. It's okay to kind of go, I'm actually not able for this. But I have a problem with this idea of shutting down all discussion and ploughing ahead. Like, I mean, we've already got social media. We've already got a huge polarisation problem. The Trumps of the world, the Bolsonaro's, they're not acting in good faith. They're not nice people who want a fair world, who just have a different outlook. They're arseholes, right? Mm. But I also think that people on the far left are not acting in good faith if they're refusing to come to the table to talk about something. If, there, if, if there's this need to tar anybody who steps out of line yeah. with this bigot brush, which I don't think is in good faith. You can disagree with someone's take on it, but I think it's in poor, it's in bad faith. Um, we're not going to get anywhere unless people are willing to come and discuss things and work things out and hear out that somebody may have a differing opinion. And I might think they're wrong, but their opinion doesn't necessarily mean they're being bad. They might have a point. I might disagree with their point, but we need to be able to actually hash that out, which doesn't always have to be a debate. Sometimes it's a good faith discussion about how do we solve this problem? The world has moved on. We now have this new thing that we didn't have to think about. What's a solution that can work for everybody? What I can't understand in the trans thing particularly, I can't understand why within the trans movement, there aren't a bunch of trans people going, will everyone just shut the fuck up? There actually are. Okay, And they're absolutely hated and villainized. Yeah, well, here's what I think has happened. The world for the last three years, I mean, I, we, we talk, we joke about this in the podcast about my, when I started this podcast six years ago, I used to joke about tranny toilets because I was getting a lot of airplay. And of course, I didn't mean that trans people shouldn't feel unsafe in public bathroom settings. And that they, you know, to me, there was a very obvious way of doing it, which is, which is converting, you know, um, handicapped toilets to allow trans or other gendered people you to go in there. Space. Yeah, or we move to what some clubs and pubs have done quite well is where there's a sort of a, a unisex environment. 
But at the time, I was jokingly using mm. that as I think, can we all just focus on weirdly climate change and things like this yeah. that are more important? And I was told to kind of shut up, not not not, not by you, but like just be oh, yeah, decent. Yeah, you know, just but be I'm, decent. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I will be decent. But it's now gone to a point where I think what has happened is it's a third rail mm. that people are terrified to talk about on shows like this or on Twitter or with their friends for good for reason. fear of getting absolutely slammed. And what I what needs to happen is same thinking people need to step up and go, this is fucking bullshit, right? Yeah. It is bullshit. And 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 the problem I was mentioning earlier about the, the strongman thing, what it will do is it just feeds the fire of the far right and yeah. the, and people going, this is out of control. And they will end up voting for a non-lefty woke. Wokeism is killing us. Specific to the trans thing, there is a fear of, oh Jesus, I'm not going to touch that with a barge pole because I'll be cancelled. Now, cancel culture is an issue and there is a lot of that, but specific to the trans thing, I haven't seen such venomous. It's not just cancelling. People are really right to be scared. People are having police call to their house because they said something on Twitter, which wouldn't have even been hate speech, just something that is, we didn't like that. Mm. That's considered bigoted now because saying, whether it's fair or nice or not, but saying you don't believe trans women or women. We can't have a situation where you've got Cops coming to your door because you expressed an opinion like that. Meanwhile, you've got TERFs, so trans exclusionary radical feminists, getting death threats, getting bomb threats, and you get people who disagree. And some of those people might be unkind and might be arseholes, but they're not actually saying horrifically hateful things. They're expressing a different opinion, Mm. even if you find their opinion vile. Like, people are afraid for their jobs. So it's not just that people are afraid to be criticised and people are going to be mean to me over it. People are genuinely terrified. And we have a problem there because if you're afraid to say something because someone's going to call you a racist, a homophobe, a transphobe, a bigot, the only people who are going to be left to speak are people who are quite happy to be called that. Mm. So you've got nobody decent exactly. in the middle. The, the only people you're wiping out are people with good intentions. Mm. That's the problem. Anyway, it, it, you know, it's, it, and it's not just in the trans world. And again, I, I, I'm a big supporter of trans people. I believe they should have their civil and human rights looked after. Yeah. They shouldn't be marginalized or slagged unless they look particularly stupid in the dress that's a joke by the way um but you know we do have a situation and that's just a you know a symptom of a wider yeah. malaise which includes racism in 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 america and elsewhere it includes a lot of other communities there it's not that their voice is getting too strong which is a good thing it's the fact that what they're saying is absolutely retarded if i can say that which I probably can't. Yeah, you can't say that as well. Yeah, I don't, I'm using that. I'm doing that on purpose because retarded is actually a fucking word. I'm allowed says, to say retarded. No, but retarded is a word. Is a word that says something is retarded if it's not. I'm not talking about people who are retarded. I'm talking about the word yeah. in the English language, which is retarded. It means it's retrograde. Well, here's what's funny. I'm allowed to say retarded. Because you and are some, retarded. Yeah, mm. and somebody would, would can give me shit and say, please don't use that slur. And I say, no, excuse me, I'm reclaiming it because I'm actually autistic. Hmm. How ridiculous is that? I'm allowed to say it, you're not. Different if you were going around calling someone a retard or calling someone who actually had a learning disability a retard. But it's that kind of level of shit that I have an issue with. Anyway, the uh, life continues apace. We have an end of the world situation, which, as The Onion said, um, in 2010, uh, apparently climate change issue from 2006 is still a problem. <laughs> and uh, weirdly this week, or, you know, we, we ended up going oh, no, no, it really is a problem now. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 seriously. No, no, seriously, it is a problem Trope now. Burnham. They say the ocean's rising like I give a shit. <laughs> um, so this week we had uh, definitely, 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 definitely now it seems to be sure, sure that climate change is an issue as Greece burns, as uh, America's West Coast burns, as... Ireland uh, got some wind that the Gulf Stream was about to pack it in. The Gulf Stream, for those listening, is a warm body of water that comes through the Atlantic from the Caribbean, touches our shores. It's probably not that warm by the time it touches us in terms of jumping into the sea, but keeps our climate. It more keeps temperate. our climate more temperate and stops us having, you know, snow-filled winters. That looks like it could be packing it in. So everywhere you look, it's just. Yeah. So, you know, the climate thing has come up because the IPCC report happened, which is the uh, International Panel on Climate Change. Apparently, it's a code red for humanity. 
news. But so I, I was looking into that because you know the way you just get bits of the news and you go, oh yeah, that another another one of these summits or meetings we've all decided climate change is the problem, and we all go, oh god, that's desperate for about two weeks, and we we'll panic, and then we we'll forget about it for six months, and then there'll be some budget where we go, yeah, we're going to tax you for petrol now. Shut up about it, and nobody gives a shit for another year. But what I did look at and found was it was the first major review of the science since 2013. So I went, oh, okay, right. Because I, like, I can be a little bit like, you see it on the news, somebody had a summit, whatever. But there is actually news here in that it's the first time we've looked at the science since 2013. Not quite what you might call urgent. Should we look at that thing <laughs> again from 2013 when it said it was going to be fucked? I know, yeah. The, the problem I have here is, and you know, it's actually very pessimistic because COVID has shown us how we're going to fail combating climate change, in my view. Yeah. If you look at the COVID vax deniers, if you look at the people out there in America, particularly only 50% of America is vaccinated as we speak today. 80% of Ireland is fully vaccinated. But the 50% that aren't, most of them are Republican Trump supporters that Mm. I can see. And they're still digging in on this. Now, you know, the climate issue requires... The world, yeah. You know, even in Ireland, since about people in Ireland go, oh well, you know, we're only three, we're only six million people, and you know, our cows are out in the in the, you know, and we, what do you want us to do? Import yeah. beef from Argentina? Sure, that's going to cause more. Everyone has an excuse, and with climate change, the excuses go everywhere. Oh god, yeah. Well, on that point, actually, I happened across a website which is like Climate Hero, and it offered this quiz to see are you a climate hero or are you a climate villain or somewhere in between. It's not overly preachy. It's actually quite kind. It's not giving out fucking yards to you. So it's asking you things like, um, how many people are in your household? What kind of heating do you have? How big is your house? Do you have a car? Do you have a second car? Is it a, is there, are there, have you got solar panels on your gap? All that shit. What about shopping? Do you buy new stuff? Do you recycle a lot? Do you worry about food waste? Do you throw shit out? All big and small stuff. And then it gave you a chance when you got your result to take another set saying, which is helping you with what stuff you might be willing to change. So it would say, would you be willing to change your uh, service provider for your heating and stuff like that? And some of the options you can click is, no, that wouldn't be a financial option for me now. So I thought it was really nice the way they did it, but it did challenge you to some of the stuff that you don't do to see what stuff would work for you. I mean, we know what we should be doing. We know what's bad, but it actually, I did find it quite helpful to look at it was also, to your point of excuses, as I'm going through it, I'm going, well, I can't do that because of this and I can't do that because of that. Yeah, I could sit there and go, yeah, sure, that's what we do, excuses. But we will. And some of them are valid. For instance, you know, it's great if people are going vegan for the for the climate. But I understand that some people have a shitload of food allergies and if that, that one's just not an option for them. Grand. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be an excuse for everything. But I think it's useful to look through what the excuses are, what the hurdles are, and then think, how can we make that better? For instance, if we're using a shitload of plastic, which we have been, and we went right, let's stop buying water bottles. And I, even me, I'll drink tap water, but I wasn't drinking enough. But I'll buy a five litre drum, not mm-hmm. a shitload of 500 milliliter bottles. Am I saving the planet? No. But every little thing like that we can do would be helpful. So if we can look at the excuses people have, and sometimes maybe even change the word of excuse to the hurdles, the things that are getting in people's way from doing better, we can work out how can we as a society make it a bit easier, make little changes more helpful. I mean, I know there were some supermarkets that were bringing more, they were trying to reduce waste and packaging. You could go and fill your shampoo bottle. You could, great. But we are still going to end up with this thing that, to be honest, most of the packaging I'm using and the petrol in my car isn't going to touch the sides of what giant companies are doing. But that, we still have, we can't just go, well, fuck it, China's doing this and the big companies are doing that, so we'll do nothing. This is the conundrum, which is why I say COVID is the model to look Mm. at. We will make an, so for example, we're the worst plastic uh, per capita users in Europe, possibly the world, I'm not sure, Europe definitely. Our animals on this island account for something like 70% of our our greenhouse gas emissions. So the first thing you have to do is say, we have to cull our national herd, mm. right? How do you call a national herd? Well, you don't go out and just kill all the fucking cows immediately, but you start today and you start with things like, as I said before in the podcast, restaurants are only allowed to serve red meat three days a week, okay? Yeah. And that's a law. Now, even that thing, imagine trying to get to there. Imagine trying to get to a point where, and imagine the people on the fucking street and the farmers crashing into fucking Dublin with their tractors 
saying, fuck you, we're only a small country, blah, blah, blah. And that's just one mm. thing, right? Your thing about the water, plastic. But I wonder to that point, just out of interest, and I, and I, I don't know, but out of interest, would something similar be achieved if there are tax incentives for if you set up government schemes that restaurants and cafes that choose to sign up to this feel-good scheme and it's all about saving the planet. And so they get tax incentives where other people are getting tax sure. uh, up. But that, would you be less likely to... It's, it's harder for farmers to get out there and fucking bitch and start... You, you know, I just think that, that... I think there are intelligent ways where we can achieve the same thing. And, well, and it's, it's a win-win for a company. This is the problem. Everyone's saying... <laughs> Oh yeah, but let's do this. And what what the world is becoming is a microcosm of the Irish government. Yes, they did a good job on the vaccination rollout, but generally speaking, our government is a fucking talk show with yeah. no action. Yeah. Okay, everything gets worse every year, mm. uh, and I mean that our hospitals get worse every year, our schools get worse every year, our homeless situation gets worse every year, and everyone comes in with ideas and goes, "Oh, we could do this," and we're setting up a little committee to do that. Meanwhile, things just get worse. Yeah. And what's happening with climate change is nobody is doing something actually proactive in terms of big ideas that say we need to do this. Everyone will agree that we need to do it. Mm. Everyone will say, oh, we need to come up with loads of ideas. In fact, we should set up a committee to come up with ideas. But just, yeah. that, just that thing that you said, okay, we have to now engage farmers to give them tax incentives to stop fucking growing cows. And it's kind of like, no, farmers, you need to stop growing cows so that your farm stays intact in the next 20 years. That's the incentive, yeah. right? Grow weed, as we but suggested I, I, yeah, on the Yeah, exactly. Podcast. But I mean, when you're, when you're looking at that, because the, the young farmers don't just take it over from their dad. They'll go and study agriculture. Yeah. So I don't know what they're fucking doing in the agriculture course, but like a shitstorm is coming and weed. Yeah, that could be like, that would be... All of these people, their livelihoods don't have to be crushed because we do have to think about what the fuck are they supposed to do and it's well and good for us to go, well, we just need to kill the herd and too bad. But it could be a different thing if you're sat there on a farm. But, like, fucking get cracking, get on it. I mean, you turn over the paper in, in, in Ireland which shows Greece on fire and, and, and the need for climate change and that report that you referenced and you turn over the next page and it's the Tornish, our Minister for Enterprise, you know, congratulating some fucking American corporation who's building a data center in Ireland that's going to create a thousand jobs. But all the data centers are going to start contributing 30% more carbon into our carbon thing. Mm. And we're only building them now. So we're building and we're not taking the way. So the answer, and, the, and by the way, you know, this applies, I presume, in most countries in the world. We're not going to do it. So you end up then, and I, I, you know, you can be a killjoy about this. We're not going to do it. Mm. We haven't got the capability. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't focus our attention yeah. to do this. And I have to say, like, and I know this discussion has been happening a lot in the past week or two in Ireland anyway, that the idea that, well, listen, when you hold to account the big countries like China, and when you hold to account the big corporations that are polluting, then come and talk to me about it. And I and I get the thing of saying it's not good enough to wait until they do something to, and, and we'll just They're say, not going to do something. I know. But I also see that when some of the things that need to be changed, for instance, like if you want to get a higher score on that particular website, yeah, get a lot of solar panels in your house, change things. But some people are living in poverty. So I can really understand, you have to understand that if the boat is sinking and they're using a tiny little teacup to empty it out, but it's really hurting their life to use that teacup. I can understand them going, listen, I'm willing to do my bit, but it's real fucking hard when it's costing me so much and it's causing me such hardship and I realise I'm pissing against the wind here because the bigger people aren't doing something. So I do think it is important. Some people live in food poverty. Some people live in fuel poverty. We're not all coming from the same position. Some choices to make a difference to climate change are incredibly expensive in some capacity for some people, which would be easy for them to be a hero but when they watch and see it's not going to save the world it's doing fuck all and they're struggling enough as it is you can understand people going I just can't I know also why it's not going to happen the fixing climate change is a multi-billion trillion dollar exercise on the planet no human being accepted really everyone needs to be part of it from the poorest person to the richest person mm. and again your point is well made. You know, you could all you could exchange poor people for farmers. You could exchange poor people for yeah. Africans. But you know, it's like <laughs> our, our Chinese. We're not going to do this. We are absolutely one hundred percent. I mean, the only 
you know, from a marketing and advertising point of view, a 12-year-old Swedish girl had to fucking bring yeah. our attention that this was getting serious. And that was five years ago. She's nearly an adult now. But I mean, I think it's difficult enough when you're expecting, I think certain things are difficult because we don't want to upset this lobby, that lobby, this multinational. They won't like it, taxing them or, or holding them to account. They won't like, but like that, the ordinary Joe Soap isn't going to be out of pocket if he sees it's not worth it. I see that there's a difficulty there, but there's some simple shit. Like I, one thing I noticed, because like I'm a mother with kids and it's nearly back to school time, like uniforms. Yes, they can pass on the odd crest jumper. I, I can say comfortably, I've had kids in school for like six years now. A huge amount of waste, if you're talking about just fucking out textiles, like at least half of the waste is unnecessary. And it's because I had to buy some fucking uniform and you had to have enough spare ones, but you can't buy more of them in March. Mm. So you need to buy them when they're going in August. Half of them didn't get worn. They're changing the colour next year. You have to throw them out. So a shitload of, like kids come with an awful lot of waste and it's terrible. But a shitload of that could be reduced by the, like, the government kind of saying, and even school books, why the fuck after COVID? Why are we, there's an awful lot of shite that it causes a huge amount of expense on parents and causes extra waste. Kids are wasteful enough. That kind of shit. Yeah, these are, these are the issues that touch you. And, yeah. and, and, you know, there are issues, issues for me that touch me as well. The point is, we need like 5,000 initiatives mm. of that size. We need the education department to put in place a bunch of rules such as no uniforms, which, you know, they never do that. Even if you did that, no uniforms, imagine the kind of kerfuffle there would be. And so you end up, and I genuinely mean that, in every industry, like the advertising industry, every time you do a pitch, right, there's like daler boards and printouts of of the absolute muck you're making for these clients. You fly them across to Atlanta for your presentation and you do them in triplicate and every, you know, even the actual cost and you lose the pitch. And all that stuff is landfill. When you go home and you're trying to be more conscious about waste and you've been doing that all day and it's just all this fucking waste. And when something is inconvenient and expensive, where you're having to buy the brand you don't like and it's more expensive to buy it this way, but you're really trying to like reduce your plastic consumption. If it's kind of, irritating to you but you feel like you're making a difference you might be a good person to do it but if you spent the whole day watching all this shitload of waste it's not going to work so if I'm kind of trying not not to buy extra clothes trying not to buy a load of shit the kids don't need trying to go down to the local charity shop see what I can like just reduce reduce our fucking consumption grand but I didn't get to buy that dress I wanted you know it's it's inconvenient and if I feel good that what I'm doing is actually helpful great but if I come home and I've got three sacks of fucking uniform shit that I had no choice but to do, I'm less inclined to bother my whole putting myself out. So I think it matters. And there's the people who say, sure, the dress is made anyway, I might as well buy it, right? And, <laughs> like, and, and so, you know, I know, that's a valid argument because, you know, what we that that's not tackling it at source. The, the, the dress has been made in China, uh, you know, and has been made with slave labour in a factory burning coal. And, you know... Almond milk, you know, burns so much water. You know, mm. So everywhere you look, there's just profligacy and no one doing anything about it. Yes, the biggies need to get their shit together, the G7, the COP26, whatever the hell's happening at the moment. But I, you know, I, I just, just like, so, the, so anyway, here's the thing. What do you do? I don't think we're going to fix this. No, I, I think the world's going to break. First of all, can everyone stop having children? Because... You're actually being fucking morally irresponsible by bringing your child into this world that you're not doing anything to fix. People need to stop having children because it is awful future yeah. coming to, for them of possible global breakdown. Yeah. But oh, it'd be nice to see what sort of a child we make. <laughs> but you see, that's another example. People need to stop having children. People need to focus on this. They're not well, going I, to. On that front, right? No. I'm not being defensive about this because I've been said before, I, it wasn't in my plan to have children. I love them and all that, but it wasn't in my plan. However, my eldest was born in 2010, my youngest was 2013. And when I was looking at the figures this week, we need to keep below uh, a global temperature rise of 1.5 before 2100. We're, we're at best, best case scenario, we're going to hit there at 2040, right? But so when I'm looking at what's going to happen by 2100, by What's going to disappear? One of the things I copped is like the west coast of Ireland is going to be uninhabitable apparently by twenty one hundred. And you start seeing these numbers and you go, that means nothing. I'm not going to be alive then. 
But my eldest was born in 2010, so she should be 90 by 2100. So it's with, it's with it, but, but, but like we, I don't have grandkids and we go, oh, we should care about the future, but I have kids right now. So my children all going well should be alive when it, according to this climate impact, all things going the way they're going. That's kind of scary shit. That's Armageddon shit. I won't be alive for that, but my children should be. Mm. So now it starts getting real close to home. Mm. But I mean, so the best facts that I that, that came up for me were on, I don't know if they were Tonight Show or one of those evening programmes. And I was like, oh, this is going to put the shits of me, but they're putting it clearly. I'm getting some facts where I'm going, fuck, 2050, what age will I be? What age will the kids be? It was kind of to the point and it was really gripping me. And I thought, I hope everyone's watching this. And then I realised, oh no, everyone's watching Love Island. And that's the reality. The problem we have, and it applies to COVID and it applies to everything, uh, is just this absolute greed and selfishness against which, and we're, you and I are probably just as guilty as the next person about it. So I'm not being holier than thou here. Mm. We are a greedy, selfish people. The best way of showing this is what has happened in African countries over the last 50 years. Yeah. Right? We could have fixed uh, famine, and we did make some inroads. I mean, they, the, the, the people who, people like Steven Pinker, who, who say this is the best time to be alive, you know, will say that many millions uh, have been removed from the poverty trap, particularly in places like Africa. But that means that they're not living off two euros a day. They're probably living off 250 a day, yeah. right? And also it's, it shows, the COVID situation shows signs that that is reverting back to the norm. We as a species were able to do something in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, noughts, now, to eradicate world hunger. Mm. And we've tried, but we can't do that. And that's not actually a supply of food problem. No. That's a transport problem. That's a, what do you call a logistical problem of getting food from A to B into a child who's starving's mouth. We can't well, we even can, do we that. We can figure things out when we want to. I think if there was a, if there was a, an asteroid coming to hit us in twenty years, we would we would we would come up with a solution to get Listen, it out. We got, we, like, but we figured out how to get a vaccine into the arm of anybody who wants one. We figure out how to get textiles sent from Asia to make sure that pennies is stocked up so yeah. that we can have affordable fashion. And I'm not having a go with pennies because yeah. again, you've got people who can only afford to shop in pennies. But we have enough supply. There's enough food on the planet. The issue is not that. It's greed. It's about like transport, but we can transport what we need when we want to. Yeah. So it's that we haven't bothered our whole because a it might the way the way the world is set up around money. Money is just a fucking made up concept, but it might step in the way of money. It might be inconvenient. It might mean that we have to give up stuff. So we can fix it. It's it's just the powers we, we, that we, be. We won't because the COVID injection thing and say an asteroid are singularities. Mm. This is thousands of things contributing to a singularity that all need to be adjusted. So if you imagine like a, a console, we need to be flicking switches in fashion, food, everything, cows, yeah. advertising, you know, every single business, every single approach to life. And what we're hearing is you at home should do more. Yeah. But what we need to do is as a species, fix things. And while we're at it, let's try and fix world hunger and let's try and fix mm. other things and make the world a better place. That's the optimistic look. And that ain't happening anytime no. soon. So what I was trying to think about for the podcast was how in, and, and let's just be fucking honest about this. We're not going to fix this. So then we have to ask ourselves, how bad is it going to get? Mm. Does it become a 1.7% rise? Does it become a 3% rise? Does the sea level go up by four meters or one meter or half a meter? So how do we live life and this is terrible because it's yeah. it's me copping out. I'm saying it's not going to happen. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you throw that doesn't mean you throw in the towel, okay, and say we we don't do anything. We we, we actually, I'm talking about maybe you and me. We have a responsibility as, as you know units yeah. within a society to understand that we need to do and change our ways. In my view, we're on a beach shouting at a tsunami that's coming towards us. We know we're going to get wrapped up in this tsunami and probably die if we yeah. don't die before the tsunami hits, in my case. So how do we live life from a psychological point of view? Most people, I think, live their life by just not caring and continuing on doing their little bit. Yeah, because you're, sp like you're spending your time, t time pissing against the wind. Yeah. And that's demoralising and it's difficult. For some people, it's incredibly fucking hard. Like if you're pissing against the wind and getting nowhere, you're going, 
like I can't, I can't fucking do this. It's it's breaking the bank. It's costing me the earth. It's costing me my sanity because I have enough issues at home and this thing is really difficult. And I'd do it if it was working, but I'm pissing against the wind. I, I agree with you. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to get fixed. I think we'll bitch and moan about it. It'll get worse and worse. So if where we were hoping to get to, or we were hoping to hold off till 2100, if that hits at like 2040, right, then we're talking about less than 20 years. So what happens if in less than 20 years, suddenly like Dublin Bay, the dart has to be moved. It's getting kind of shitty. We can't, you can't sell an apartment there. We've got an issue there. What happens when fucking fires everywhere, half the world's on fire. So we've got all these more refugees that are coming mm-hmm. and that's putting a, a strain. Mm-hmm. So when it starts having real financial implications and when Ireland needs some sort of bailout and the EU goes, no, sorry, because you're not meeting your target and we're going, but we're fucked, we're in serious trouble. When that shit starts happening, yeah. we know it's coming. It's almost like a bold child. We know we're in trouble. Mommy has to drag you out the door. You know you have to go to school. It's now five to nine. You know you're going to have, your, your arse is going to be in the chair at nine o'clock. You know your mother's going to lose the rag. She's starting to get irritated. And yet we're going to sit on the on, on the step of the stairs saying, no, I'm not going, I'm not going. I'm waiting until she lets roar and belts the arse off you. That's what we're behaving like. But I still think that's what's going to happen. It'll be 20 or 30 years time where things will start getting real fucking intolerable. No, no, and then it, we'll move anyway because it, we have to. It's not going to happen in my view like that. I think it'll happen the way it's already happening. So what will happen is we'll start putting band-aids on the problem. So we'll end up going, we need to build a dike out in the mm. out in the Dublin Sea. And that will be a big works project. It'll cost $6 billion yeah. to make. And that's to protect Sandy Mount and Sandy Cove <laughs> and all these places from inundation. A bit like Holland did. You know, there'll be just band-aids put on things. P- people in fire hazard zones will be forced to move out of fire hazard zones and stuff like this. Yeah. So the world will continue apace, but it'll get worse and worse. And yes, there will be times when people will be forced yeah. to leave the land in vast numbers, but especially I, no, in I agree countries. with you. I think as it gets, we know it's coming. We know it's going to have serious implications, whether you like it or not. And if you're not a tree hugger and you don't care about that shit, well, it's going to start getting Armageddon-like, so there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. We're going to, Then we're going to wait until it gets really, really bad to do what we have to do anyway, because we have no choice, even if we don't care about the environment, but we'll have no choice when our gaff is getting flooded. But even at that stage, yeah, we'll have we'll, we'll build a dike, we'll do this. And I think, basically, even if you just look from an Irish point of view, I think the poorest people will be hit. The people with money will eventually do what they have to do because they have no choice. Because the fire is coming at your face. So you have no choice but to pay for the fire extinguisher. But the pe- but at that stage, it'll be so bad that the people who can't afford a fire extinguisher are fucked. And that's a positive... Uh, Best case scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, because, you know, there'll be... Uh, you know, the Sunday supplement will be going, climate change silver lining for Ireland's burgeoning wine industry you know there'll be there'll be like we've yeah. tasted Connemara wine and Leitrim wine and stuff you know, and there'll, there'll be, be like a two page spread for this new type of skincare now that we have the same climate as Newfoundland yeah <laughs> like, yeah and so yeah, that that that's a that's a best case scenario i.e. I, the world puts band-aids on people move Pakistan doesn't exist anymore and goes back into India because it's inundated or whatever and there's wars and there's all that shit and the world goes on. The worst case scenario, though, is Mad Max. The worst case scenario is, as someone said on, on a podcast recently, imagine if COVID was 50% mortal, right? So, mm. so you 50% know, mortality one in two people die from it when you catch it. Well, if that happened, no one's going to go and empty the bins. No one's going yeah. to fucking go and stock the shelves yeah. or run the, the stores. And within a matter of months and weeks... The, the society collapses. I mean, that's when you do need to stockpile toilet paper. Yeah. Um, and, and, and board yourself There is yourself a tipping up. point. Yeah, and it can happen really quickly. In the same way that the climate people are saying, this can come yeah. crumbling down. Well, put this way, right? If we were to learn in the morning that if we don't do X, Y, or Z, COVID is going to p- kill 50% of the world population. If that 50% happens to be in Africa or like Pakistan or someplace that doesn't affect us, we'll do fuck all about right. it. If that 50% happens to be in the bedroom next to ours, yeah, we will. Mm. If that 50% happens to be in the suburb next to ours, and then and, and we won't really want to do anything until someone points out, actually, they're the ones that empty the bins, and they're yeah. the ones that go and are going to mind you on the trolley, and go, fuck, that affects us. Mm. But if it's Africa, it's grand. If it's some other country, it's grand. And that's like, literally, that's what history has taught us. Unless it's going to touch us, we are quite happy to sacrifice the other half. So it's a bit depressing, uh, and... I've only been I've been working my head through this for the last year or so, and I'm just kind of going again, just to maybe to finish on what 
is the best way to live. I mean, I, I think the best way to live is to not give up and to, to each individual voice needs to try their best, even though it's not going to, you know, happen. I mean, do we have any ins? Like, how do you live? I mean, I'm 53 and I've got how many summers left? 25 now, you know, or whatever I mm. have left. I'm not going to be around for it, okay? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I shouldn't do my bit to, mm. you know, it doesn't mean I should buy a fucking Maserati. It comes down to the same point of, like, why bother voting? If there's, like, five million people, my vote doesn't count. Okay, but my vote does count because, yeah, it could be down to one vote, probably won't. My vote counts because if I show up at the polling station, they know that women aged between 30 and 35 in my area, in, in my demographic, in my socioeconomic background, vote. Therefore, they then think they work for me. And when I wake when I think of climate change, when I wake up in the morning, what the fuck can I do? I don't do enough. There are things, there are choices that I make where I go, I could do that, but to be honest, it's going to cost me more than it's going to have a benefit. And sorry, I can't do that. Mm. Grant. But on an individual basis, then I go, I can't actually change the world, but I can only change my own behaviour. Okay, well, I've got two kids. Even if I'm not as good as I'd like to be with the example I show them, well, I can sure as shit at least talk about it, at least acknowledge that's not right what I'm doing. Or do they talk to you about that in school? Have you got a teacher that's running the climate? You should listen to her because actually, and what's she saying? Like, even things like that, acknowledging my own faults, acknowledging what I can't do, but at least encouraging. Does that fix everything? No, but it's what can I do when I wake up in the morning? It's the difference between being hopeless or not. It's the difference between trying to help or not. Teaching them in my own stupid little ways, let's recycle that, let's not buy that because it's a load of waste. I know it's pissing against the wind, but I am actually influencing my two children and hopefully my two children might influence a friend or two of theirs or maybe they'll show up at the fucking school club and maybe those people will bother their whole to vote and maybe they'll push for but that's the, all the I thing about the, the, the other depressing thing about this is government normally on something like this like you can go the housing crisis is too fucked let's all vote Sinn Féin let's give them a turn at it right mm. governments can't fix this I don't think it, it, it needs a a, a, a a planet-wide, yeah. species-wide, and weirdly coming back to strong man, man. If I ha- if I had to pick a country that would 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 fix this, and blow it up and put it all around the world, it'd be Singapore. Singapore would fix this. Okay, hmm. Singapore is a benign fascist state run by autocrats that are not. I don't think they're that uh, nefarious. Yeah, but Singapore would fix the world if it was allowed and it was in charge. And they would do it fucking yeah. quickly, okay? But if this was a Singapore Australia, problem, they sorted. Australia, and by the way, Australia and New Zealand up there, forget it. Yeah, America, forget oh, it. Ireland, forget it. Yeah. So there's, so you know, maybe some of the Scandi countries, I don't know. But like, we literally have no template that says we have a mass emergency here. We need a thousand new ideas yeah. to be implemented within 12 months across 25 or 30 I mean, different industries. Look, we have the Paris, Paris Climate Accord. Is that fucking good enough? No, of course no. not. But it's what we have. It's what we have. And Donald Trump took off that. At least the first thing Biden did was say, yeah, we're signing back up to that. Mm. Is it enough? No. It's what we have so far, though. More of it. Anyway, climate change. Here's what we do. Guess what's 27 years old this week? My nihilism? The day-to-day. Ah! Probably one of the greatest shows ever made. Chris Mars and Armando Iannucci and Steve Coogan did the first kind of spoof Fox News, Sky News kind of show back in the 90s. And it still pops today. It was so prescient. And as a little treat, here's a little compilation of from Rosie May, their environmation correspondent who was actually a woman with a beard so that ties back to an earlier show today environmation from me rosie may britain is soon to have its first portable cemetery the cemetery which opens to the size of a football pitch and features real soil holds up to a thousand corpses the portable cemetery saves waste scientists in alaska have found a gap between the horizon and the earth The gap, which is nine miles across, is believed to have been caused by recent storms which tore the horizon from its moorings. A team of civil engineers has now set off to lash the horizon back down with steel. I'm Rosie May, and this is my planet. 
Environmation from me, Rosie May. A revolution in household heating is sweeping across America. Frozen fire. Normal fire is solidified in special cold furnaces and packaged for home freezer storage. It can then be defrosted at a later date and poured onto logs. Frozen fire saves heat. The echo from the nuclear bomb which destroyed Hiroshima is set to devastate the city again. Half of the original blast has ricocheted off Jupiter and will strike Japan in 2041. It's not yet known whether the city will be evacuated. I'm Rosie May. Tread not on the forest leaves, for you tread on my face. Anyway, that was the day today. If you haven't seen it, get it out. It's still brilliant and uh, absolutely hilarious. Happy birthday. Can't believe that's 27 years old. Bloody no, it's fabulous. Mm -hmm. The brass eye is brilliant as well, which is a... Brassai, yeah, he decided to push the boat out further there. Also worth a look. And we also found a lovely show, didn't we? Yeah, Joe Lasso is a show about soccer in England and naturally uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, it's a it's it's one of those things that's based around that, but that's not what it's really about. And basically everything about it I should fucking hate. Yeah. It's it's an American football coach who gets hired to work as a soccer coach in mm. England in the Premiership League. And I don't think he even knows the rules of soccer wonderful how many episodes is there going to be but to be fair we watched it we sat there and we like all through the first season we just sat and sobbed yeah because it was so nice and it was foot perfect uh, it, weirdly you know i'm not a big fan of these kind of sitcom -y type shows as well but it's absolutely the first series anyway the second series starts to yeah falter a bit but uh the first series is like foot perfect it's one of the greatest yeah. shows I've ever we watched seen. a few episodes on one of the nights and i thought the next day i was like now dear and there's no we way we're a bit drunk and you I, thought I, I thought i thought maybe it was because we were a bit drunk or something because there's no way i enjoyed that shite and also aside from it being football and it's not my kind of bag it just seemed like one of these shit sitcoms i was like no we have to have been hammered and we sat there at like two o'clock in the afternoon after doing a bit of a tidy up and just sobbed and hugged each other it was so nice so we have um what else is going on? Afghanistan has collapsed like a flan in a cupboard yeah. almost overnight, blowing up in Joe Biden's face. Yeah. Uh, there was talk on kind of Friday, like the Irish diplomats were kind of being warned, listen, get out yourselves because we may not be able to get you out. And then by Sunday morning, certainly by our time, Kabul had fallen to the Taliban. So it reminded me a little bit of Pete Dunne, who course was one of our guests yeah. favorite guests on the show who sadly passed away last year he hitchhiked, he hitchhiked all the way to Afghanistan for the weed and uh, you know he said it was a beautiful place back then the the Afghan army who have who America has spent trillions of dollars funding mm -hmm. training dropped their weapons and ran away basically in the face of the Taliban last week and it's a humanitarian catastrophe waiting to happen it's got bad ramifications for women but I kind of agree with America. Get the fuck out of there. Let them sort it out themselves. We have a generation gap. When I was there, the Russians were in there getting their mm. arses kicked. The place needs to sit down and work. if it's going to be a Sharia law place, okay, welcome to you know Saudi Arabia, welcome to most Middle Eastern countries. Uh, yeah. And the country needs to get on its own two feet and sort its own fucking problems out. And yeah, I know so that sounds no, that I, sounds very fucking you know un, 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 uncaring. But. What I was thinking, like, up until yesterday, I was kind of grasping it and going, right, okay, I mean, the whole world goes, if America could stop shoving their fucking ore in, in yeah. the Middle East, and, and not just the Middle East, I mean, you've got South America, but America just shoves their ore in everywhere, you know, brings democracy wherever there might be heroin or oil. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's like, you can see Americans on Twitter going, well, like, you, know, you can blame when we get involved and you can blame when we drop it. Mm. Of course, the thing is, well, you got, you've gone and interfered, you made it fucking worse and now you're just fucking off and leaving it in a state. It's imperialism, right? Mm. And we come from a post-colonial country. And so what happens in every country is the imperial power eventually decides they're not arsed anymore or there's a, there's a revolution. And they leave the civil war. But, and, but then they leave it in shite. And then when the civil war is over, what happened here and what happens everywhere is fucking religion takes over. So we had a, we had a theocratic state for nearly 100 years and we're only yeah. just trying to fucking clean that up now, but that's what happens. And I saw somebody had put up a thread on Facebook somebody I didn't know very well but an awful lot of quite educated very activist people were involved so I was looking to see people's take on it and somebody had made that point and said look yeah we are where we are and I mean the Taliban are basically fucking tra I mean they were literally just put together 
from bodies of people that the Americans helped when it was convenient to them and then when they, when they had the Cold War. But what, then when it wasn't convenient to them anymore, it was like, well, here we are. But, I mean, we can't, we can't jump in our time machine and move backwards. So what happens? I mean, it's easy to point the finger at the US and the UK. But, I mean, there are an awful lot of countries involved there. And I do think that whatever was going to happen was going to happen. But the nature of how it would happen, how, what a shit show, the bureaucratic getting people out of there safely, that was a fucking disgrace. Mm. That was a shit show and it mm. should not have been so bad. That we can complain about. But eventually, they do have to get out of there and it's going to be a shit show because that's what happens when imperial power leaves. There's going to have to be a storming and forming. and So, yeah, I don't really know what the correct well, I think, answer is. I, I think ra- radical Islam needs to be sorted out. But it needs to be sorted out by Muslims because yeah. they're the people who are most affected by it, not us. Mm. It's not a terrorism thing. It's a kind of a chopping the hands off people and beheading people and yeah. getting women to, to subjugate themselves is the issue and that needs to be sorted out by, by Islam. Yeah. And God knows there's enough Islamic countries in the world, some of whom would do it very uh, much in keeping with what I suppose our interpretation of the Quran would be. But, you know. Yeah, but I suppose like that, it comes back to that an imperial power trying to uh, enforce Western ideas hmm. never does well. And what it actually does is it creates pushback. And it makes things more radical. And they, all we have to do is look at our own situation that an imperial power made everybody much more Catholic because to be much more Catholic is to be anti-British. Yeah, yeah, to be anti-British imperialism. Mm. And that's that's a problem. You don't want to just go, right, drop it, leave them source themselves. I think we have to... That doesn't mean that we... The international community can't introduce sanctions for certain things. It doesn't mean ignore them, fuck them, leave them to themselves. It's very upsetting. And I'm like, I sit there and go... Like, I have a daughter that's nearly 11. If I was in Afghanistan, I'd be fucking terrified. I don't yeah. think I don't think she's too young to be taken off. They're taking unmarried no. women 14 and above. I don't think she's too young to be taken off. No. You know, I'd be fucking terrified. My son could be radicalised. I would be absolutely terrified. But I do think it comes down to that they're, it's going to be more and more radical the more they're pushing back against imperial power. So it does have to be them sorting it out for themselves. I don't know what the answer is as an international community as to how much we should do or what we should do. I certainly don't think we should just say, fuck it. And again, back to the start of the show, you know, you're not allowed to say boo against Islam by the far left either because that's bigotry. But, you know, there's some issues that need to be discussed. And then what in the name of Jesus has Haiti done to deserve the shit that it keeps getting smacked with? Poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, another earthquake... As we write, over two thousand people killed. I went there. Yeah, you spent time in Haiti. I went to I went to Haiti in I think two thousand and eight, before the big earthquake, and we were doing some NGO kind of work there with some Hollywood stars. I was there with Josh Brolin and his then wife Diane Lane, who was absolutely lovely. And I had spent like uh, six or seven years in Asia. I'd been to very poor parts of India, Vietnam. And China, of course, where I lived for a year. But in in those countries, you felt that there was someone in charge who was trying to do right by the people, even though it wasn't working very well, even in China. And when I got to Haiti, it was just... It was the one country I saw... The way way I described it was, it's like the government are on one side and all of the people are on the other side of a stream of effluent running down the main street and the occasional dead baby is floating by. Not that I saw that, but like it's that it's a stream of effluent and the people are going, what are you doing about this? And the government are going, about what? And it was bereft, It was just a place where I found so little hope. I found really nice people. But you, I, you just felt this country was... Because, it, you know, it's on an island, Hispaniola, and yeah. the, the other half of the island is the Dominican Republic. When you fly over it, and Haiti used to be owned by the French. They stripped all of the forest uh, in, in, in the Haiti side of the yeah. island for their mahogany Beautiful tables. Of, this is, yeah, this is going back 300 years. Resulting in desertification, uh, desertification, whatever the word is, of Haiti. And, you know, back in the 50s, Haiti was where Richard Burton and mm. Elizabeth Taylor went on their honeymoon to Jack Mel, where I visited. And there was this hotel that was like, it was like, you know, it was like one of those hotels from I Am Legend. It was the, yeah. the, 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 the you know, grass was overtaking Actually, the swing pool. Because you've told me about this, but I don't know much about Haiti. But recently we had been watching the Chianti Bourdain and he yeah. had an episode in Haiti. So you were able to kind of, I had a visual in front of me, you were able to talk to me. 
and they were showing the hotel that was now just a shambles but that was where Richard Burton had been that's where all yeah. the stars were they were showing it its heyday and then mm. it was just a shit show so it kind of it made it made put it in context for me because you talk about it but it kind of it could be anywhere and it didn't really but it was kind of weird when you were telling me that yeah it was it, I mean it was it was taking me forever I mean we, we, I worked with Tony Piggott an ex-guest mm. of course who did, did Brand Aid and we were trying to get we were trying to get you know, some of the artisanal because uh, they have lovely art and a big voodoo culture and it's very interesting um, we're trying to get these um, artisans local artisans onto the internet so they could sell yeah. uh, their wares internationally which was another can of worms and difficult really difficult to accomplish in red tape etc but yeah uh, God Godspeed Haiti um, you know it's, and you know nothing happens to Dominican Republic Dominican Republic has got big investments and big cruise ships landing and Haiti is just it's just very sad anyway what a very upbeat uh, podcast we oh, had today as always was there anything else we should talk about I'm sitting here grasping because I feel like we should talk about something cheerful and funny <laughs> and great crack. Anyway, sorry it wasn't the usual bunch of laughs this week. The world is, as they said in The Shadow of a Gunman, a state of chassis. Yeah. What I would say is, um, if you're heartbroken about all the women and girls in Afghanistan, and there will be people who are heartbroken about it purely because it's those Muslims again and they're kind of in bad faith thing it's awful the little girls be putting burkas isn't it dreadful yeah it is dreadful so wear your fucking mask and stop whinging <laughs> anyway um, I don't know what we try and achieve with this it's a little miscellany of what's going on in the world and we'll try and make next month's a little bit happier but we will leave you with a smile which is another excerpt from the wonderful The Day Today one of my favourite characters Peter O'Hanrahan and these are two excerpts of him You've lost the news, Peter. Now remember, it's not the end of the world. Yes. Bye. Bye. A week of foul-tempered debate in Europe ended this afternoon as finance ministers agreed new quota rates for trade with the United States. In Brussels is our economics correspondent, Peter O'Hanrahan. Peter, what is the new rate? It's 30%, Chris. Agreement was a long time coming, but in the end, the decision was unanimous. What was the Germans' reaction? Because they've been holding out for 40%, haven't they? That's right. Uh, when I spoke to Finance Minister Reinhardt earlier today, he said he didn't like the deal, but he had to go along with it. Really? You spoke to him yourself. You managed to pin him down. He's a pretty tricky man, isn't he? That's right. Where did you get hold of him? He was in the hotel. And you conducted a conversation with him about the quota rates? That's right. He said he didn't like it, but he had to go along with it. What language did you conduct this conversation in, Peter? German. You spoke to him about the technicalities of the deal in German? Yes. So what's the German for 30 percent? 30 percent. 30 percent. Yes. And what about that quote you attributed to him? I don't like it, but I'll have to go along with it. That's what he said. How did he say it? I don't like it, but I'll have to go along with it. In German, how did he say it? Ich nichten lichten. Presumably you mean rufen Sie ein Taxi bitte, sonst wir passiv meinem Flur. Yes. No, you don't, Peter, because that means get me a taxi, I'm late for my plane. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Did you speak to the German finance minister about the new deal this afternoon? No. And what was his reaction? I don't know. Peter, thank you. It's just been an... Yeah, thanks. It's just been announced there's to be a special inquiry into the government's handling of the Froome shipping deal which flew to pieces last month amid accusations of gross ministerial misconduct. Our economics correspondent, Peter O'Hanrahan, is with the Minister for Ships, Michael Crane. He's just prized him out of an emergency meeting. I'm with the Minister for Ships, That's Michael Crane, That's what everything MP. I've just said comes spewing straight back out of his stupid slab of a face. Mr Crane, choppy waters for the government. Not at all, Peter. Uh, this procedure was entirely proper, and I think the inquiry will prove that the government's handling of this matter was entirely proper. So the government's ship, back on course? Absolutely. Back to you, Chris. Peter, what the hell was that? This man's made a big-scale cock-up here. You let him get away with it. Now, let me speak to him. Put your earpiece next to his head and stand still. Now, Minister, there's reason to believe that you lied to the House. How do you answer that? Well, that is a very serious and unfounded allegation, 
and I'll be making a statement to the House based on the preliminary inquiry next week. A week is a long time in politics. Rab Butler. Shut up, Peter. Now, Minister, did you or did you not lie to the House? I will be making a full statement to the House next it's week. It's a simple question, yes or no. Did you or did you not lie? I, um... As the Minister for Ships sprawls on the pin, it's back to you, Chris. No, it isn't, Peter. He's about to answer the question. He's about to admit to lying to the House. You've let him get away again. Where's he gone? Over there. Well, get him back. He's in a cab. Peter, you've lost the news. What are you going to say? Sorry. Look like you mean it. Look down at the ground and say sorry. I'm sorry. Peter, next time you cross the road, don't bother looking. Sorry. The day today, because fact into doubt won't go. The American car company General Motors have today announced a cut in their workforce at their plant in Detroit. Our economics correspondent, Peter O'Hanrahan, is there at the moment. Peter, what's going on? Chris, it's a mass redundancy measure. It's the biggest layoff in American industrial history. 35,000 jobs in one fell swoop. Gone. 35,000? Yes. Peter, there's only 25,000 people at the plant. That's right, Chris. Mass redundancy on an unprecedented scale. Well, would you mind telling me how the plant can function on minus 10,000 workers? I don't know, Chris. You tell me. I'll tell you what, Peter. You mean 3,500 workers have been sacked? No. 35,000. It's all here. Let me see what you've got down there. It's 3,500. You're Peter, right. I, I, want to I want to see it. I don't want to hear anything more out of your mouth. I don't believe it. Now, show me your notes. No. Yes. It's 3,500. Show me. I don't believe what you're saying. I just want to see the numbers. Now, hold them up. Hold them up and keep them up. And rotate them 180 degrees in my favour. Do it. Peter, what's that? I don't have a monitor, Chris. I can't see what you you're doing. You know what I'm talking about. It's just above your right eye. Yes. A cobweb. And how's a cobweb going to dig you out of your numerical mess? I don't know. Peter, you're lying in a news grave. Do you know what's written on your headstone? News. Peter, thank you. Peter Hanrahan, live in Detroit. The day today, bagpiping fact into news.